Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, coach, and also your host. Thank you so much for joining and listening to this podcast. I look at the numbers and I am so impressed by how so many of you are still checking in even with everything that's going on. I hope you enjoyed the episode today with Chaya Kogan. I am so excited about this episode. This was the second time we had to record it because there were technical issues with the first time. And I am just so excited to release this to you finally. I'd like to also mention that ModMath Now is offering make your own home kits. So if you are looking to straighten your teeth now is a great time, especially because other beauty services aren't really available to you right now. So this is something you can do to improve your smile, and hopefully when this is all over, you'll have something to show for it. So if you're interested, please reach out to one eight four four modmouth That's one eight four four modmouth and make sure to tell them Francisca sent you. Also, this week I will be doing a tutorial of how to do a cappella songs using GarageBand. That will be happening in my Facebook group called the Artpreneur Community. If you are serious about turning your art form into a real business, figuring out how you can monetize your talents and how you could create a high earning business. Definitely reach out and here you go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. So excited for today's episode. We have Chaya Kogan here, originally from Australia, then Moscow, and now Israel. Welcome to the show, Chaya. Thanks. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I've been following you for the last year or more, ever since you started posting your videos, your amazing music videos online and sharing your incredible voice. Tell us a little bit about your fascinating background and upbringing and tell us how it's connected to your development as an artist. Okay, so I was born in Australia um, so I was born into a religious, um, Chabad family. Originally, both my parents became religious, but before they got married. Um, so I was already born into a Chabad family. My mother, um, was, my mother was a singer. Um, she's just lately, she's stopped singing. Um, but while I was growing up, she was always singing overseas and, um, she was going on tour um, she was actually one of the first uh, religious female singers, and she got a, a blessing from the Lubavitcher Rebbe to do so, even though it was really uncommon then. Um, some people looked at it, you know, a little weirdly and thought that it wasn't, you know, the right thing to do, but the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe really pushed her to do it, and he saw the need for women to have women's music. And that's why she continued. She put out an album. And then she went on to put out a few more. So I was really born into a really musical family. Um, and seeing my mother on stage, you know, I always look up, looked up to her. And I, I, I was born loving music. I mean, I remember myself just singing everywhere, driving everyone crazy with all my songs. I'd sing about anything I'd see, just turn it into a song, drive them nuts until they tell me to, you know, stop it already. Um, so I was really born into it. Um, I'd also perform with my mother on stage. 
um, I'd sing with her. And then later on, um, I'd also join in with my guitar. Uh, when I was 10 years old, we made Aliyah. We moved to Israel. And also throughout the years, I was always in choirs and school and had solos and all that. Um, and then I taught myself how to play guitar when I was about 16. I got my first guitar for my birthday present. Have it till today. <laughs> and then a little later on, I, when I was 18, I joined kind of like a girl's band, uh, would go uh, all around Israel performing, would be singing and dancing, was in this group called Kolot, uh, would perform like three times a week. So I did that for about half a year until I got engaged. And after I got married, so I moved to Moscow, so I couldn't continue that. Um, that's basically it. And then afterwards, I already started my professional singing career. Okay, so thanks for that background. So Moscow was your big switch in terms of, you know, getting married, stopping your creative career, so to speak. What were those years like? And how did you come back into music? Okay, so in the beginning, um, I really wasn't performing. I always had at the back of my mind that I do want to put out music. I mean, for me, um, since I was pretty young, since I was in my, you know, my teenage years, I saw the need for modern music, modern Jewish music, because I couldn't really connect to the regular Hasidic music. It was very hard for me. And I was always looking for something more for someone who I can learn. I can learn different um things that I can't do with my voice right now, someone who I can look up to. And I didn't really find that in the Hasidic world. So I'd always go and, you know, listen to other stuff and try and imitate the different trills that they do. And it always really caught me. And I saw also all, like a lot of my friends who were also listening to non-Jewish music because we really didn't have that in the Jewish world. And I understood that, you know, I wasn't looking for the words at all. I wasn't paying attention to it, but I was really looking for, you know, um, the vocals and I'd learn from them and I'd really just take a song and just imitate it and just like learn all the, the licks and the trills and try and do exactly like Mariah Carey or whoever it was. And, um, and that was really what I was attracted to. And I couldn't find that in the Jewish world. So I knew always that that was something that I was going to do when I'd get older. So after I moved to Moscow, I wasn't really working with music. And then some people in the community, they heard that I, you know, used to perform. So they asked me to come and do some things for the community. So I'd play with my guitar and do some songs. But then I decided that I really want to start working on an album. Um, you know, pop album, but all original music. Um, I wasn't really into doing covers of non-Jewish songs. I really wanted to do original Jewish pop music, talking about um, topics that I think were, you know, especially for women. So I started, you know, collecting up different ideas for songs, and I found this amazing producer um, here in Israel. And we started working together on an album. Um, so he 
uh, wrote most of the melodies on my album. Um, I did, I wrote all the, the English words besides one song, which my brother, many of you probably know, his name is Describe. So he wrote one of the songs on my album. It's all good. It's called Amazing Song. I love it. Um, so the producer Shirley Broncha, his name is his parents originally from Australia, so he had that connection. Um, so we worked together on my album, and I found another amazing woman named Tani Krzyzewski, who wrote all the Hebrew words for me. I gave her all the all the info and all the things that I wanted to talk about in the song, but I'm not really good at writing in Hebrew. I still didn't feel confident. So she wrote the Hebrew words. And only towards the end of the album, I started gaining confidence to actually write the full song, not only the words. And then I wrote my song called Change, which is like a really cool country song. And since then, I decided that probably the the next songs that I'm going to write I'm going to do it all by myself, the melody and the words. So right now I'm also working on some new things that hopefully will come out with music videos. So I'm really excited about that. That's super fun and exciting because I love watching your new releases and your work. Obviously, you're a professional singer in terms of you've developed your voice and you perform a lot, which I'd love to talk about more, but you focused on creating the content and I guess you, and I had the same thing for many years. All I was doing is just investing, investing, investing in my product, in, in my content. So I'm assuming mm -hmm. just based on some of your videos that you spent a lot of money and, and you're hoping to make it back with performing. Yeah. And so take us through the process of music videos and it's post-recording, it's post all that part of the investment. So how does that work? And has that affected your your relationship or your marriage or, you know, having to to invest so much into your into your art form? So that's a good question. Um Thank God my husband, you know, really saw my, how should I put it? Call my him. need. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a need because it's so part of me. And he saw that, like, I felt like I have to do this. It's something that I can't not do. And I feel like Hashem has given me such a gift of music. And I feel like if I don't do it, it's just like a waste of me. You know, just like I feel like I have something that I can give other people. And I feel like music is such a strong tool um, that you can give so much over in a song, sometimes even more than, you know, going to, you know, a lesson, a, a Torah lesson. I mean, there, it's also important, but sometimes it, it just goes straight into the song and really can change someone's life. And, I've, you know, there's countless stories of what a song, you know, did for someone. So um, I felt the need to really put out this album. And thank God my husband really, you know, saw that need and saw how much I was just craving it. And he he told me he's going he's gonna to give me the money for the album. I'm still working on giving it back. But um, <laughs> after I put out the album, 
Um, I realized that I can't stop there. And besides putting out the modern music, we also need music videos, you know? People are still looking elsewhere because we don't have it within our communities. So I decided I'm also going to do, you know, a really good quality music video that people will enjoy. And thank God the feedback has been amazing because I'm really hearing what I wanted to hear, which is women saying that they've stopped listening to non-Jewish music because now, you know, my music is, you know, is, is good quality and it's it's enough for them and they don't feel the need to look elsewhere. So that's really what I wanted. You know, I wanted to give that to the Jewish community and thank God, you know, that's for me, that's, that's everything. So I did decide to invest in music videos because I felt the need and I'm, I don't regret it at all. I feel like it's important. And, you know, if other singers are going to go and put out more music videos, the better, the more, the better. We need it. I agree. I've never heard anyone say, you know, there's no room for another song. If anything, when people listen to the radio, they're always waiting for what's, what's going to be next. What's going to be next. You have a great song. You enjoyed it and you'll come back to it, but you want to hear more and you want new. And that's just how our brains function. Yeah. So. You put out some amazing music videos, Francisco. Thank you. You know, beautiful. And, and it's, you know, I love watching them because they're also very high quality and, and, you know, we need that. The more, the better. I agree. And, and it's so nice to be in, in a community where I feel like there are colleagues. I'm not some crazy person. There are other women who feel like I do, who are investing too much money into their projects for who knows what reason, but that reason of calling and needing to express that, needing to create good Jewish content uh, in, yeah. in an Orthodox environment. And yeah. yeah. People tell me that, you know, they want to stop putting out music and I'm like, okay, listen, if you're trying to do it to make money, you're not in the right business because right now we're putting out a lot more than what we're getting back, but we keep doing it, you know? Absolutely. But you do perform a lot and people invite you and I love talking about that aspect of it. I, we have done this interview once. You're, I think the third guest, I'm doing a redo of the interview because of the sound quality, everyone. So let's let's talk about the performing end of it. I know you have some amazing messages and words of encouragement in terms of negotiating for your value, for your time, and your talent. So let's talk about that. So hold on. So you just put out a music video and then people are communities started saying, I know Chabad communities have more events, they have budgets for events, and so much, there's more of a network to work with, there's an infrastructure. So that may have added, but was it like you released a music video and then suddenly calls started coming in? How did it work? It didn't really happen straight away. Um, I mean, the, the music video did definitely help get my name out and my music out. Um, but before I even put out my album, I was contacted by basically the head of Neshei Chabad of Israel. They have their annual convention with about 7,000 women who come. And I was asked to perform 
my song that I did with my daughter, my oldest daughter. So I actually performed that song for my album before I released my album. So my name did really get out, you know, before I released <laughs> most of my music. So then with the music video, you know, I just got it out a little more. So after I released it, I did start getting contacted about, um, about concerts. First, I started off here in Israel. Um, and then I went to Germany twice within the space of a month. I performed there in two different cities. Um, but in the beginning, I didn't really feel comfortable to take so much. I mean, to take what I now know I deserve. Um, in general, you know, I feel uncomfortable taking money. I mean, I told my husband, if I can just go and sing for free, I'd do it. If I could, you know, put out an album with no name on it, I'd do it. I just, I just love making music. If I can just be in the studio, like no one will know who I am, I'd, I'd do that, you know. But unfortunately, it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> people want to see you on stage. And not those people who are like, just love getting out there on stage and just love, you know, getting applauded. I'm so not there. I'm those people who would just love to live in a studio and and sleep there and get up in the morning and make more music and then go to sleep and make more music the next day. I mean, that's me. Um, I perform because I have to perform, but it's not something that I just love doing. I'm honored that people invite me and, you know, they feel that I can really add to their events. So I'm really honored by it, but it's not something that, you know, I love doing. I'm those people who all say, okay, I'm going to call in sick the day before the concert because I'm so, you know, stressed. I'm those kind of people. So you feel like you have to perform <clears throat> for the money part of it or for the exposure part of it? For the exposure. Um, and it's true because that one, when I perform, and, you know, then I'm exposed a lot more. My music is exposed. I mean, thank God I perform all over the world. So my music does get to all different parts of the world. Yeah. And then also uploading to social media, you know, that I've performed here and I've performed there. It also adds to it. But um, performing isn't the easy part for me. I'd rather just make music behind a curtain. Well, you see me here. I'm in my studio. I feel the same way you do. I'd so much rather be in the state of creating music during day hours on my own turf than performing, being on a stage at night when I'm so exhausted, traveling. By the time you're on stage, you're so exhausted. And you with the traveling, it, I mean, if there's any traveling involved, by the time you're performing, you're there's no energy left. And yeah. uh, The last two concerts I just did in Russia and within... These last two weeks, I went to Russia twice. Um, the first one I did in St. Petersburg, and the second one I just got back this morning from Krasnodar. So I traveled all night. I left on Matsushavas. I got there Sunday morning, and I performed a few hours later. I didn't sleep for like 24 hours before the concert. So, yeah, it's not easy. But then there's the adrenaline. So, you know, you push through. It's fun. Once I'm on there, I try and enjoy myself. Has there been any resistance to what you're doing? I know putting out music videos and 
coalition in general, open to the public, always brings up some resistance. I mm-hmm. I, I would assume Chabad is a little bit more open-minded than other Haredi communities. And, well, anyone who puts out a music video has to deal with some sort of backlash. So I'm just curious what your experience has been. Yeah, so for sure, not everyone likes the ideas of women putting out music videos on YouTube. Even in Chabad, even though Chabad is more open to those kind of things and um, more um, modern ways of, you know, getting to getting Judaism out, but still, Kolisha and YouTube, not everyone likes the idea. Even in Chabad, um, so I've gotten messages from people saying, "What do you think you're doing? You call yourself a religious woman, a Haredi woman? How could you do such a thing? Uh, you're causing men to sin." It's like I'm sitting them down and forcing them to watch my videos, right? Um, Even though it says for women and girls only, so which means that I'm covered. It means that once I write that according to halacha, um, then any man who watches it, it's on his own account, and I don't have to take that on me. But still, not everyone likes the idea, but that's okay. You know, they don't have to. I'm not forcing anyone to watch my music videos. But also, you know, I've gotten so much good feedback. And so many people have told me that it's helped them and it helps them get through their day. And my videos are on repeat. And, you know, so I've gotten so much good feedback. So, you know, all the backlash is, you know, it's just such a tiny percent that I don't even pay attention to it. Yeah, 100%. And when they're... When you have a husband involved or in-laws or, you know, sometimes it can be your own parents who are embarrassed about you or any artist that they're pushing any boundaries, that could cause friction as well. So I love the attitude. I I wouldn't do it if my husband, you know, wouldn't be okay with it. So, yeah. And again, you're not doing anything wrong, technically speaking, halakhically. (laughs) According to many majority mainstream opinions okay so i I, we talked about this the last time we did this interview and i'd love to get those stories out there because they were so fun to just have you talk about it and see your face a lot of your projects have been done while you were pregnant or in the hospital giving birth and i what i love about those stories that you Uh, that you've experienced is that, you know, there's no such thing as a nine to five artist, (laughs) like maternity leave or, you know, Pesach, you have your projects and they're the most important thing. Yes, you could be having a baby, you could be making Pesach, whatever else is going on in your life. But somehow this just, you know, it's life and it, it also needs to be birthed and it comes when it comes. And so, yeah, go ahead. Tell us your story. The most, there's a few of them. (laughs) So my first one, which is actually before I got pregnant, but this just shows like what a real Jewish religious mother slash singer is. Okay. (laughs) So I told you about this annual Chabad convention that I performed at with my daughter in front of 7,000 women. By the way, did they pay you for that? So that was actually, um, I told them I'll do it for free. It was my first time performing one of my original songs. And I did get 
you know, the exposure. So I was ready to do that for free. So, but since then, obviously I have not done things for free. Um, but that did actually really get me a lot of exposure. So I perform at this event for 7,000 women, all sparkly and done up. And, you know, I got my shades all done and, and we got, we rented out dresses for my daughter and I, and, you know, we're all glam up there on stage. Okay. The concert ends and I get home and have to go to this wedding of these really good friends of ours. They were marrying off their daughter and I had to go there. So I had like, like one hour to get ready and find a babysitter. All my regular babysitters couldn't come. So my friend sent me a number of this new babysitter. So I contacted her. She said she can come. She'll be there within half an hour. I get home. My house is like upside down. So I change into like my, you know, cleaning clothes and I start washing the floor and, you know, like organizing the kids and getting them into bed and everything. And the babysitter arrives and I'm like, and then we're washing the floor. She looks at me. She's like, what are you on stage like three hours ago? And I'm like, yeah, that was me. And I'm like, you know, with my cleaning clothes on, my mop in my hand. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. This, what you see here, this is the real me. You know, that was all glam and yeah, but that's not real life. So this is real life. So <laughs> that like really goes to show, you know, some people, even on social media, they think that we sleep in the studio obviously i would love to but i don't um because i my account is for music you know so they don't see the other parts of my life when i'm like driving the kids back and forth to school and all the different things they need to go to and they think that we just live music i mean i'd love to but it's not real life and people are sure you know that we don't have any you know obstacles and we don't have any struggles in life and our lives are just perfect and golden but you know thank god we have so many things in our lives but you know we also have real lives we have kids we have cleaning to do <laughs> we have other things you have to do so that's real life okay so that's the first story second story we'll talk about uploading my music videos so for some reason i got this idea to do the music video when i was already pregnant so we started filming my first music video, uh, when I was five months pregnant. That's why I was wearing two different dresses. So one of them, my stomach was like really popping out and I didn't really want to show off my stomach then. So that's why half of it's cut under the chest so that you don't see my stomach. <laughs> so that was that one. And then my second video, which um, uh, this is your time, which I did a um a cover for shweki song but i did it um like a, a vocal video uh, a cappella video so um i recorded it when i was 39 weeks pregnant um yeah and i videoed it like a week before i was supposed to give birth air of pesach like literally a couple of days before um and by the time it was edited I was in the hospital and I uploaded it while I was in the middle of doing my monitor before giving birth. <laughs> so the the nurses there, they asked me what I do for a living. I told them I'm a singer. I'm actually right now I'm uploading a new mu music video. So they're like, really? I'm like, yes. Yeah. Like, can we hear it? So they put it on there in the ward and we all danced and fun too. So that was that. 
And my third one, that's why that one's also cut because I had a huge stomach then underneath the camera. And my third one, uh, also an acapella, which I did of uh, God Elvaz's song. Um, so I was, I just gave birth. I still had my you know, extra stomach there. So that's why it's also cut. So basically they're all cut because I'm either before or after giving birth. So, yeah. So that's awesome. Can I ask how you use other people's songs? Do you ask them for permission? Do you, how, how does that work? If someone wanted to do a cover so I didn't ask permission because I've seen other people on YouTube doing covers, but I do make sure always to write whose song it is. And underneath and in the description box, I even write, I even put the link to the original song because I do think it's very important, you know, for people to, to get recognition for their music. So it's, it's very important for me to write at the beginning. I wrote, I write, um, I think I even write before my name, um, whose song it is. Like I wrote God Elba's um, cover by Chaya Coburn because it is very important, you know, to give the recognition. Yeah. And then again, I, I, I put the link to the original song. And also when people do my music, I mean, I've had also a bunch of covers. So it is, you know, important for people to know that the original song is mine because, you know, we work hard on our music and want people to hear the original absolutely so i'm um, i'm from moscow and you lived in moscow and i just feel like it's the elephant in the room could you tell us a little bit about your life there and we never cross cross paths there i'm just also curious now that we're talking about it now russia and moscow especially is a huge arts culture city and country have you used that to your advantage? Um, well, the arts of there are a lot more classic. I wouldn't say kind of my style music. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did perform the beginning of this year in a theater over there. Um, our community rented out. It was um, 10 years to the passing of my mother-in-law. Um, so I flew in especially to perform, but, um, I haven't really, you know, used any of the, like the music industry in Moscow to my advantage. I never put out music over there. I've never worked in the studios over there because it was also a little harder for me to communicate there, even though I do speak Russian, but not as a Russian. So it was just easier here. Also, once I found my uh, producer here in Israel, you know, it was really important for me that he understood the style that I'm looking for. It took me a long time to find him because I was looking all over here, but there were more, they were doing more Israeli style and I was looking for something more modern and pop. So until I finally found him, I wasn't going anywhere else. Um, but no, I didn't really use it in Moscow. And what was life like there? So I moved there two months after I got married. Um, so my father-in-law is the rabbi of our community in um, the center of Moscow, of the Belshire Bronaya Shul. Um, so I have two sister-in-laws there. So it was kind of like a family shlichus. Um, we were working there with the young professionals, and then we opened 
a special Chabad house just for them. And, you know, it's going very well now. Um, life is different there. Um, definitely interesting. Um, How so? I enjoyed just give a few examples. It's very different. I mean, the whole lifestyle there. Um, I enjoy it. Um, I mean, I enjoyed the way people would, you know, really respect even the different events. If it's the way they dress the different events. I mean, compared to Israel where, you know, people can come to a wedding here in jeans and t-shirt. Like over there, we need to go to the ballet. So people dress up as if they're going to a wedding and it's gorgeous. You know, they really respect these, you know, you know, the arts over there, which I loved. Um, also the community is very warm. Uh, I didn't know much about the Russian community before I moved there. There's just like all these different stigmas about Russians. Um, but I found them to be, you know, really warm and, you know, really wanting to help. And so we still, I mean, we go there all the time. We're going to be there for Pesach. We, we go, you know, to be with the community, um, as much as we can. So we moved back to Israel two years ago. We had to move for um, something, you know, within the family. Um, but we go there all the time. You know, we love our community there, and we built over there with the young professionals. So we're definitely still they're a big part of our lives. That's beautiful. And do you feel like you have settled into a community in Israel? I know. That's a loaded question for a lot of people. <laughs> or do you feel like your community is there with your family? And then here it's more like, I wouldn't say Hefker, but maybe it feels more Hefker. I mean, coming well, from such a close-knit community to Israel, where yeah. you have. So, I, I mean, I moved to Israel when I was 10. So my parents live here and siblings live here. Um, we live now in Rehovot. Um, so we belong also to like a younger Chabad community. Um, but you know, my, our heart is there because over there it's when you give and you build a community around you and you're, I mean, I, every Shabbos I'd have 20 people, you know, at every meal I'd start cooking, you know, I'd go shopping Wednesday. I'd start cooking Thursday morning till Shabbos. I made everything homemade, you know? And when you're so used to giving and giving and, you know, it's, it's amazing how much you get back. And that's really missing now that we live here in Israel. Um, that's the hard part. But um, so our heart is really there. You know, we love living here. Um, we have to be here in the meantime. Um, but who knows? Maybe one day we'll move back. You never know. <laughs> that's so Wonderful. And it's nice hearing another mom say she loved the cooking. <laughs> I don't know. Did you say you loved the cooking or you just did a lot of hours of it? I, I did a lot of it, um, a lot of cooking, but I enjoyed you know, seeing people enjoying it. The part I loved most about Shabbos is when I'd open the door and just see, you know, how many guests you brought with you home from Shul. I'd never know how many would come. I'd just cook and I'd say, okay, bring 20, bring 30, bring whatever. And he'd just bring. I'd, like, I wouldn't invite them ahead of time. And this, like, you know, they'd come from far, but, you know, he'd just bring a whole bunch. 
So we had a lot of, you know, people from our younger community and new people who'd just come in for Shabbos. So we always had, you know, a wide variety and mixture of people, which was always very interesting and fun. Yeah, absolutely. And the, Moscow, we also never knew how many people would show up at our Shabbos meals. And I would take that when when my parents were making weddings also. When it came to the Russian community, you just didn't know who's going to show up. <laughs> and when you're making a wedding you, in, in America, I know it's like you have to respond. The parents need uh, the head count. <laughs> the caterer needs the number. Yeah, and then you just... You, you don't know who's coming. There's just open seating, and we hope everyone has enough food and enough seats. And, uh, and there's, there's always enough to go around. There's always enough to go around, yeah. <laughs> so back to the performing end of it and the monetizing the art conversation. Could you tell us more about your experiences with having to handle your own finances and when it comes to negotiating for yourself when when your product is you yeah that's not easy i'm still looking to to work with someone who actually will be talking to the people who are who are wanting to invite me because it really is hard when i'm the one who's coming to perform and i'm the one who needs to talk to them about the money and it's it's uncomfortable um, I'm still looking for someone who is willing to take that job on themselves. Um, is there that's... enough left over from the job to pay them? I mean, I think there is. I mean, I, it's, obviously it will be according to what we decide, but I mean, it's more just the first negotiation because after that, you know, I mean, I, I talk to them about whatever I need, you know, in terms of you know, equipment and all that. That's not, a, I don't have a problem talking to them, but the, just the money part is just a little uncomfortable saying like, this is my price. And then, you know, they're saying it's, it's expensive and you're like, okay, but listen, like trying to convince them that, you know, it's, you know, that it's what it's worth because of this and this and this. I mean, I, I don't want, I don't go actually into those places because you know, if you want to invite me, then this is my price and this is what I feel um, I deserve for if it's traveling overseas and leaving my husband and five kids. Or if, first of all, it's the traveling, which you take like two days away from being home at least. Um, it's also, you know, where I am today as a singer. It's not like, you know, I started singing yesterday. Um, I've invested a lot of money into my music, into my music videos, and I want to continue making music and that costs money. I mean, if I want to put out more, I have to get money from someone. It doesn't grow in my backyard. So <laughs> it did, but it costs money. And, you know, in order to keep making music, you need to get, you know, it needs to come in also somehow. Um, but thank God, I really, I didn't have to negotiate too much. You know, people call me and write to me, okay, what is your price? I say, this is my price. So either they, either they say, okay, it's too much for me or they say, okay, I don't go into those places of convincing them to take me. I always say, listen, if it's too much for you, I can recommend a friend of mine who takes less, you know, but I'm. You know, if they ask for a little discount, I'm willing to give a discount, but I'm not going to go half price because 
you know, that's what I feel like I need to take. That's my price. Right. And what's worth for me to come, you know? Absolutely. So I have for overseas and different prices for Israel. In Israel, they don't pay so much. Um, the Their budget isn't, you know, as high as overseas. It is harder for them. So I do take that, you know, into account. And I don't take as much in Israel. It's also closer to home. It's like one hour drive, one hour drive back, and you're back home. It's not like you go two flights and don't sleep for 24 hours or 48 hours and then come home and you're a wreck. So it is a little different. <laughs> so the prices obviously change with overseas. But, um, yeah. Well, I'm happy you're talking about it because, well, even if you didn't want to put out new music, you could still ask for that value because... You need to show up, and for you to show up, you are a woman, you are a wife, a mother, and if they want you where they want you, you can't be in other places doing other things that are important to you, and that costs money, whether you invested a million dollars into your music or zero money into your music, and this concept that just so crazy for me and it brought it out again when you said you did that first and only concert for free for exposure with the 7,000 women at the annual conference or convention I was thinking if a caterer or a photographer was doing their first event they would get paid and get the exposure to that 7,000 uh, yeah. people audience why are artists treated differently and, and honestly, until women like you and me and everyone else is doing it, set the price and stand by it and don't fold, that's the only way to fight the resistance of people wanting to pay for it and thinking that, oh, because you enjoy it. Well, chefs also enjoy cooking technically, but when they have to make 7,000 meals for something, they need to get paid, even if it's for one person. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here in Israel, there are plenty women who who are singing and and then whatever they they get paid they get paid um it's more within like the Sephardi community I'm on this whatsapp group with like a whole bunch of other singers and some of them they go and perform and then at the end of the evening uh the women like give donations and then it comes to a certain price and so that's why in Israel it is you know some people are still not there understanding that you know this is your price but I don't just like I said before I'm not forcing anyone to take me just like I'm not forcing anyone to listen to my music or watch my music videos if you want me this is me this is my price if you don't then it's fine there's so many other people out there that you can take so I'm fine with it and that's a, coming from a place of empowerment and confidence and that's the only way to fight the fight Regarding the other thing you spoke about, wanting an agent or someone to represent you just to discuss the money aspect of it, I found what interesting about it, because I've been at both ends. I've been on the end of obviously being hired to perform, but I've also been for my other side job when I work with performers and we need male performers because it's a mixed event, when I have to deal with performers, just having that person Who's, who they have hired, forget about the money talk. They come there and they are, where's that person's food? Where's that person's microphone? When mm -hmm. I have to come perform and there's no budget 
to hire someone to be your advocate, you're standing there saying, I, I really need my five minutes of rehearsal time to make sure that the microphone is not going to, you know, go off when I get on stage and you have to be your own advocate, but you can't be like, I'll happily be the strong, mean person pushing to make sure I, my, the person who needs their rehearsal time on stage with the sound system guy gets that time. But if I also need to be that person who's standing in that gown and singing and smiling and pretending that dream life, quote unquote, we were talking about earlier, I, I can't play both personas. People are going to think I'm crazy because I'm screaming in one minute at people because I, I need a certain level of professionalism or things that I've, I need to sing. And on the other hand, I'm you can't play both roles. I mean, you can, but you're compromising your brand by doing that. And that w that's where I find an agent or somebody advocating for you or representing you really coming in handy. Maybe in terms of your prices, uh, if you didn't want to talk about it with people and you don't have someone having them written out and if somebody reaches out, you say, oh, and I've done that actually, to send out a price sheet like, you know, anywhere that travel time requires more than half a day, this is the price. And, but then you'd have to come up with the prices and you, you'd have to change them every time, potentially. Mm -hmm. But that gives you that protection level. Even though, thank God, I've never really had any of those problems when I'd come to the hall. I'm actually very organized. I tell them, I mean, I'm willing to come two hours before because I want to know that my sound check is being done at least an hour before. So I'm very organized. I'd never do a soundtrack five minutes before. I'd rather come earlier. I know everything's fine. All my songs are on the computer. Everything's, you know, organized. Oh, I'm not talking about the five minutes before. I'm saying when you're there two hours before and they won't even give you five minutes because everyone else is taking priority. And unless you start demanding your time on stage, you're not going to get it. But yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so you had the opposite experience, basically. You're very organized and demanding normally when i come it's um when i do the full concert i've haven't um i mean i have performed you know in bigger events where i've done i've done like one song but most of the time they they do that like a day before i've found that you know the day before you come for practice and you know exactly where you're going on but so thank god i haven't had that experience yet hopefully i won't experience that either but for me it's just you know even though also you know, till now, also the money part has been fine. I just tell them this is my price. And either they say they can do it or they can't. And, you know, I just say, listen, whatever whatever you answer me is fine. Just let me know. So I don't go into negotiations with them. So it's just uncomfortable because it's not, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I love my music. I love do, making music and, you know, to ask for money you know, obviously it's my time and the efforts and all, you know, everything I've invested into it. So I do know that I'm supposed to get paid for it, but I don't know, just asking for money is hard for me. So that's me, not because I've had to negotiate or convince anyone or anything, but you know, it's just easier if I have someone else telling them the price and then I send them the list of equipment I need. And till now, you know, thank God it has kind of gone pretty smoothly. So. Well, that's awesome. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and opening up and telling us the behind the scenes on what's going on in Chaya Kogan's musical life. 
Thank you. And I love listening to your podcasts. They're very interesting. You know, so many interesting subjects. So it's amazing what you're doing in general and your music and all the different things that you're doing. You do like a hundred different things. So thank you for what you give us and what you add to the Jewish community and the female community. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. It, it means a lot. Thanks so much for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy this episode, please make sure to check this podcast out on your podcast app. If you need to figure out how to do that, if you have an Android, you need to download a podcast app or Spotify or Stitcher. If you have an iPhone, then you should already have the podcast app downloaded to your phone called Podcasts. And then you search for The Francisca Show. While you're there, please make sure to subscribe. Also, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Also, join the Artpreneur Facebook group. And if you'd like to schedule a strategy session with me or a discovery call to see how you can transition from being a hobbyist into a businesswoman or how to just simply grow your business, then I'd love to speak to you. You can reach out by emailing me at franciscak at gmail.com. K is spelled K-A-Y. And of course, through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Francisca Show, a JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast, and we'll see you next time.